for our second message in this series under the title, That Won't Hurt Me. We are developing subjects that people think won't hurt them, but will hurt them uh, or have the possibility to hurt them. Some definitely will. Some have the, the potential to hurt you. Last week was our first message in this series, and what was the subject of last week's sermon about? Hey, where was the person that was here? Procrastination. That's right. God, make my someday today. Make my someday today. Turn my someday into today. Did you make any changes in your life based upon that? subject. Well, you'll have to answer that. Today, we're going to address that great goddess that people worship at. I just listen to my heart. God knows my heart. I follow my conscience. And so, that's subject number two. And I would ask you, are you listening? Jesus said, let he who has ears hear what the Spirit says. Let me ask you this. Is there any area of your life today that's off limits to God? Is there any area that you say, God, that's off limits? If there's any area that's off limits, you've got to quit procrastinating about that. And... Uh, Surrender your life to him. That's, that's where the victory is. It's in surrender, man. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this time of praise as we think about those wonderful songs. I hope and pray that our, that our heart is in our praise. The fruit of our lips is a fragrant sacrifice in your presence and Lord, those words of that song are still ringing in my mind about those underground. We wonder how many folks gather today underground for fear of a government, tyrannical leaders harming them, yet they love Jesus more than they love their life itself. They know victory in Jesus. And Lord, today we are praising you for victory in Jesus. You who plunged us to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Cleansed our soul and our conscience from dead things to life in Jesus. So Father, today as we develop this message about the conscience we're praying for receptive hearts here and, and those that are listening from afar that we might recognize the soberness of being alive, the seriousness of the discipleship of Jesus, and that there's a judgment day coming for all of us. Lord, we're reminded that this is not a playground it's a battleground. May you equip us today to battle the enemy 
And may this message black the devil's eye as we ask you, the God of peace, to crush him under our feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of the worst advice you can give anyone is just follow your conscience. Or when it comes to voting, do that next year. Just vote your conscience. That's some of the worst advice you could give anybody. Years ago, we lived in the South and our landlord, landlords had a, a, a European exchange student. And as you know, Europe is not the most Christian place in the world. This girl had come from afar to be an exchange student. You know what that's about. And they were trying to explain to this girl from Europe the concept of the conscience. And finally, she said, I know what that is. That's that little man down on the inside of me that tells me what's right and what's wrong. That's that little man on the inside of me. That's not a bad, a bad assessment, right? Are you listening? Amen. Vine says, I think we have that quote. The conscience is that process of thought which distinguishes what is considered morally good or bad, commending the good and condemning the bad, and so prompting the former to avoid the latter. That's that good angel and bad angel, devil, if you will, on one, one shoulder and the other on the other shoulder, right? The process of that which considers the good and the bad, condemning the bad and and Accepting the good. You all are familiar with the word nemesis. Say nemesis. Nemesis. Nemesis is a word we use in, in sports. Uh, a nemesis is, is, a, is a team that just has your number, doesn't it? You just can't seem to beat them. A, a college football team might say, Alabama is our nemesis. We understand that. Did you know that nemesis, capital N, was a Greek goddess? Nemesis was the Greek goddess of conscience. Now, the Greeks didn't know God. Paul tried to tell them about that in Acts 17, that they had, a, they had an idol to everything, right? Paul said he even got one to all unknown God. I'm going to tell you about what you worship in ignorance. I'm going to tell you about him. But the Greeks lived in a human body like all of us did. So they knew about human nature. And they had this goddess called Nemesis, which was the personification of conscience. And if you were in violation of your conscience and Nemesis would execute justice on you. Let's take a look at Nemesis. Look over here. See this right here? This is, what is this? That's conscience. That's what it is. That's conscience. That's right and that's wrong. And what's that? That's what Nemesis executes on you if you get this wrong. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that dumb people that doesn't know God have an understanding of conscience? That's the Greek goddess Nemesis. Let's look at the next slide. This is Nemesis also. Look, isn't this fi figure here a face looking both directions? Isn't that what that is? 
Is that how you understand that? A, a, a face looking in every direction. You have the, the scale of justice and the, the sword of retribution against conscience when you violate your conscience. The statement that I read said, Nemesis was the winged balancer of life, dark-faced goddess, daughter of justice that restrains the frivolous insolence of mortals, that refrains the frivolous insolence of mortals. Nemesis is the Greek's representation of personification of conscience. Let's look at this subject of conscience from four different directions today. Four truths, four facts about, about conscience. And the first one is the conscience is a great gift of God. How could anyone look at the human body and conclude that this thing just happened by accident? I uh, would like to say to people like that, in Jesus' name and kindly, you're dumb! But discretion's a better part of valor. I have a friend that's an atheist. He and I had a discussion last week about faith and about God. And I talked to him about, look at the human body. How can you? He said, I don't believe in God. All the parts of our body, they all had to be here from day one. You had to have heart, had to have, had to have lungs. You had to have kidneys. You had to have a liver. You had to have a pancreas. You had to have all that from day one. All of this didn't evolve. It all existed on day one. God made it that way. Psalms 139, 13 to 14. You've made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Psalms 139, 13 to 14. Notice what it says. You knit me together. You, you made all my inner parts. Not only did God make visible parts, but he also made invisible parts too. He made the will. What's the will? That's the part of you that says, I'm going to do that even if it kills me. That's the will. He made the emotions. We know what emotions are. Passion, tremendous feeling. He made the intellect. Yeah, uh, well, I know I have a mind. That's physical. Well, you, you, you have... You have ideas in your mind that are invisible. God made that mind. And God also made the conscience. He made the conscience. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul said, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. God made lots of invisible things. And the, our subject today is one of those invisible things. The conscience, it is the warning light of the soul. It is the warning light of the soul. Your car, you have a car, most of us have one of those, has a system of warning lights. Your check engine light comes on. How many of you ever had check engine light come on? Everybody should have their hand up that owns a car, yes? Your check engine light has come on before. I, I feel certain of that. I have a car, 2011, Toyota Camry, nice car. When our beloved 
sister Sharon Lark was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. That week, she handed me the title to her car. She said, that's your car. We used it to drive to Bible study on Thursday night for several years. And she, she gave me the car. How I miss her. But I put a set of tires on, on my car back in the spring. And the tire mechanic said to me, he said, your tire pressure switch is bad. Here's what I said to him. You know, that's that thing that indicates that light on your dash, you got a low tire. Here's what I said to the, the tire man. I said, we lived without those things before about 2009. And here's how I'm going to fix that. I'm going to take a piece of black electro tape and I'm going to cover up the light. He said, that's one way to fix it. I took a piece of black electric tape. I covered up the light. It don't bother me a bit. But the tire pressure light's not your check engine light, is it? Those of us that were raised in church have been taught about leprosy all our lives because we were taught that Jesus healed the lepers. And we were taught that lepers didn't have any ears, nose, fingers, and toes. We were taught that, that they had nubs and stubs for hands and, and, and that we were taught that leprosy eats away at the peripheral part of the body. And I'm here to tell you that just ain't so. Leprosy is and was a disease that attacks the nervous, your nerves. And people can't feel. And because they can't feel, they do damage to themselves. Don Carter there's another man that was a part of us that left us too soon. Don Carter didn't have leprosy, but, but he, had, he had neuropathy. Having a feeling in his feet, didn't have a feeling in his hands. And one day, Don Carter, he, he had this terrible wound on his thumb. I said, Don, what happened? He said, I was cooking on the stove and I burned myself and didn't know it. I said, that's a, that's a correlating example of the leper. No feeling and, and doing damage to yourself. I, I'm here to tell you this morning as... Romans 2.15 says this. They show the work of the law written in their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. The conscience is the warning light of the soul. That's what it is. It's the warning light, the check engine light of your soul. Its job when it functions as God designed it to function is to warn us of wrong behavior by accusing us or excusing us because we rejected that. Notice it says, your conscience accuses or excuses. Key words, accuses or excuses. It is not a goddess, but it came from a god. Conscience is a great gift, number two. The conscience has no innate information. The conscience has no innate information. Say, wait a minute. I, I thought everyone has some knowledge of, of right and wrong. Oh, they do. They do. You see, the people in Papua New Guinea in the, in the remote tribes and the people in Baltimore City in the remote tribes up there, the people in Severn who've never been taught anything about the Bible, those people still have some knowledge of right and wrong. 
They know it's wrong to lie. They know it's wrong to steal. They know it's wrong to murder. They know it's wrong to cheat. They know all those things because God put some software on the hardware of their mind, on their conscience. That's uh, on their mind, rather, not their conscience. The conscience in itself is blank. Romans 2.15, they show the work of the law written in their hearts. Okay? The work of the law is written. That, that doesn't mean the blood pump. That means your mind. Every human being knows some right and wrong. God put that software in their mind. Let's take a look at this quote. Dr. Jack Cottrell says, the most important thing to know about the conscience is that it is not the same as the work of the law written on the heart. Don't miss that. The conscience itself has no content. It is not in itself a source of knowledge about right and wrong. It is rather an ability. It is a function. In other words, the conscience is just a function. It's an ability. In itself, it doesn't contain right or wrong. It, it responds to right or wrong. It responds to the law of God written on your mind or the law of God written in this book. Moses Lard said, and I quote another commentator, conscience originates no truth. Notice that. It merely approves conformity to truth or to what is held as true. It condemns violations of it. The conscience simply responds to what a person believes is what? True. Your conscience responds to what a person believes is true, whatever it's been trained by. You see, we understand this concept of a, of a skylight. The conscience is a skylight for the light of God's word. The conscience is the skylight. Advance a PowerPoint, please. The conscience is a skylight for the light of God's word. You see, if your skylight is dirty, you're, you're not going to get light coming through like it's intended to, is it? It's going to be blocked. It's going to be blocked. And we, we understand this. We, we all understand in, in this day and time, this light analogy pretty well. Take a look at this picture. Now, by the way, I was telling Tim, I went to Maryland Lock on Aquahart Road this week and I got some batteries from my, this pointer takes three batteries and they cost $8 a piece. I couldn't believe it. But I got a pointer now, buddy. Now everybody knows what this is, don't you? Yeah, we, we used to when your headlight went out in your car, you replaced the whole, the whole lamp. Now you just replace the bulb. Well, you know what happens. Your headlights fog up and they sell kits where you can sand off, sand off the residue so you can see your headlights work at night. And how many of you have had to do that to your car? Okay, several of us have done that. What's the problem? The light's back here, and this, this plastic covering is all plastic. It's foggy, and the light can't get through. Well, let's imagine this light is God's Word, and this cover is our conscience. And if our conscience is dirty and polluted, the light of God's Word can't shine through in our life like it ought to. That makes sense to you? Psalms 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Lamp to my feet. Let's go back to 
Dr. Jack again and read this important quote. Remember what he said, first of all? The, con- the conscience is, is innate. It simply responds to what's fed to it. Yes, we have knowledge in our mind from God, from, from creation about things that are wrong, like lying, cheating, stealing, murdering. We know that's all wrong without reading the Bible. God pro- wrote that on the software of our mind. But notice what he says. Whether the conscience functions properly or not depends on the accuracy of the standard which, which, with which it compares our deeds. To the degree to which the image of God remains intact within any individual, the conscience will work as intended by God. In other words, it will work as God intended if you're working it like God intended it. To the degree that the law content written on the heart has been corrupted, the conscience will malfunction. That's our next point, by the way. It is similar to the spell check computer program. The function of the program is to compare the user's word entries with pre-established database, even if the program is functioning perfectly. It will not produce the right results if there are misspelled words in the database. If the words in the original database are correct, then the de- results can be trusted. Did you ever see that art thing, that story about spell check that has all the, the words spelled right, but the words are wrong? Ever read that? I've seen that. It's pretty funny to read. It uses, you know, the word spell right, but it's a wrong word there. The spell check followed, it followed what was programmed. And what he's saying there is your conscience will work as God intended to as long as it's been programmed by the right information. But when the wrong information is put in, it will malfunction. And I have to show you something here that I thought was rather ironic. See this word here? They both come at the end of the line. Database. Most people recognize that as one word. Database is one word. But apparently, in Dr. Cottrell's spell checker, database was two words. (laughs) So, the spell checker conformed to the program it was using. But as I look it up, database is typically shown as one word. Maybe it, it can be shown as two words, but it also is shown as one word most of the time. It's, it, it seems as though. So the point is, the results are no better than what's programmed into it. The conscience is the skylight of God's word. <clears throat> it must be trained by that. Thirdly, our conscience can be conned. The conscience can be conned. Every person has a conscience. Did you know that? Did the Greeks have a conscience? Did they they know who God was? They didn't know who God was. But they had a conscience. They had a a goddess. Had a goddess for that that subject also. We learned about that. Nemesis. Every person is born with a conscience. Every person is born with some of God's software programmed on your mind. And we've already talked about that a couple times. However, your conscience can be hardened to God's innate knowledge, and it can be hardened to God's word, both. You see, if the mind is defiled, the conscience is defiled also. It depends. The conscience responds to darker light. I want you to take a look at this picture. That'll get your attention. What's that? This is a man pretending to be a woman. 
We call that in our day and time transgender. That's not a word I was raised with, but I know it well now, right? Were you raised with that word? No. And you see here, he says, I bet hell is fabulous, and he's mocking Christianity and got lipstick on, and notice what that is. Devil horns. And I want to know what's wrong with this guy over here. Something wrong with his conscience too, isn't there? He thinks it's, he thinks it's funny. He's not dressed like this guy, but he thinks this guy's funny. And you see the caption somebody put on the graphic that I got off the internet. And he says, I, I bet hell is fabulous. I bet hell is not fabulous. It's unfabulous. It's anything but fabulous. But you see in this picture that this person's conscience has been conned. Do you see any shame in this, this guy? You think he, he has any shame about what he's doing? What's that? It looks like a smirk, a, a wry smile on his face, huh? Yeah. His conscience has not been trained by this. You agree with that, right? And here's what the Bible says about this guy. Titus 1.15, to the pure, all things are pure. To the defiled, unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their conscience are defiled. Notice it says, Paul says, to the unbelieving and the defiled, what's pure? Let's don't miss that. To the defiled, unbelieving, what's that word right there? Nothing is pure, he says. Nothing is pure to those people. Roll the PowerPoint, Caleb. Their destiny is their destruction. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Does that, does that describe that guy for you? Notice it says their glory is in their shame. That man in that picture has no concept of shame at all. Zero. His conscience has been conned. Let's make a little application of this about criminals. Criminals may have a clear conscience. You know that? You see, you know that a small portion of Muslims can be terrorists. They attacked our country over 20 years ago and, and those people who did that, they were being true to their conscience. Because their conscience has been trained by something other than truth. They would tell you, this is, I'm, I'm honoring my conscience. I want to tell you about another former terrorist, what he had to say about that. Let's look at this scripture, Acts 23, run. This man was a, was a terrorist also, a Jewish terrorist. Looking intently at the council, Paul said, brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. This is the same guy that when Stephen was being stoned, he held the robes of the men that put him to death and stoned him. And he said, my conscience has been clear. That tells you that your conscience is not a safe guide. Paul later repented of that. He became a Christian and he said, he said, I was the 
chiefest of sinners. That's what he said. I was the biggest sinner, the top dog. Let's look at this quote. It's extremely important to remember this. Wherever the knowledge of God's law has been corrupted, suppressed, exchanged, or in any way violated, the conscience will continue to function, but it will not produce trustworthy results any more than the spell checker will be right if it's been misprogrammed. And what he's saying is, if the conscience has not been properly trained, it will not produce correct results. That's why just follow your conscience is the worst advice you can give some people if it's not been properly trained. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2 says... The Holy Spirit here clearly tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the faith and they'll follow deceptive spirits, teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead. Their consciences are dead. Some translations say their conscience are seared as with a hot branding iron. Seared. Dead. No, no, no feeling. That's how people can take another life like it's nothing. That's how abortionists can, can assassinate babies like it's nothing. They're murderers also because their conscience has, is defiled. Amen? There are plenty of people who have done horrific things their conscience don't bother them at all because their conscience has been conned by you know who that leads us to our last point the conscience leads us to salvation only human beings understand the concept of right and wrong and, uh, and, and sin and forgiveness I'm not saying that you can't teach an animal some things that are right or wrong. They, they, I understand that. But you understand this. Only, only human beings are made in God's image. And yes, you may be able to shame a dog, and it acts, it acts like it's shamed. But that being said, no ape ever felt guilty and apologized. See? We are made in God's image. They are not. When you silence your conscience, you're in a bad place. You've got tape over that light, like I put over the run flat light, the low tire light. When you silence your conscience, that's what you're doing. You see, the conscience, when working correctly, it produces guilt, shame, fear, distress, anguish. It produces all those things. It produces guilt. That's a good thing. That means, that means you can, when you feel guilty, you can still feel pain. Some people don't feel any pain in their soul. And conventional wisdom in our modern day time would say, go see a counselor. That's why, please listen to me. You have to be very careful about any type of counseling you receive. Because zero counseling is better than counseling that is false and not according to truth. A person might say to a counselor, 
I feel terribly guilty. And the counselor might say, well, it's because you have low self-esteem and, and you, need to, you need to change how you think. You need to change your mind and feel better about yourself. No, what you need is Dr. Jesus. You need repentance because you feel guilty. This lady, her name was Mary. Mary was a drunk. Mary started coming to church and started listening to the gospel. I taught Mary that the reason she was a drunk is because she chose to be. That she could unchoose to be a drunk. And Mary repented, was baptized into Jesus, became a Christian. But as time went on, she went to see a secular psychiatrist or counselor. And that educated counselor, unlike yourself, you know, told her that the reason she was a drunk was because her dad was a drunk and she'd inherited that. And, and she went back to drinking and the drinking led to gambling. And I'm here to tell you, it didn't end well because somebody told her she wasn't responsible for that. And it opened the door for her to, well, okay, it's not my fault. You got to be very careful about counsel that you receive, that it's wise counsel and not counsel from the devil. Sometimes the devil can wear a three-piece suit and wear a tie, you understand? The conscience leads us to salvation, feeling guilt and shame and blushing. When's the last time you ever saw somebody blush? I walked into a convenience store where my office is in Lenthium the other day and there was uh, some teenage kids outside. It looked like they were maybe 11, 12 years old. And they weren't high school kids and I came out, got what I, my, what I bought, snack, and came out, and they're still standing there. And I could not believe what I heard coming out of these 11, 12, and 13-year-old kids' mouths. It was like completely unfiltered. Our last point of application is this. The conscience accuses rather than excuses. May I ask you a question? Does your conscience excuse you or does it accuse you when you look at the law of God? Which one? Let me ask it again. Does your conscience accuse you or excuse you when you look at the law of God? Well, what's the answer? That's right. It accuses us. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about as a Christian. I'm talking about as a non-Christian. Acts 2.37, here's what it says. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Guess what that word heart's referring to there? What's the subject of today's sermon? They were pierced in their conscience. They said up here in the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? They've been taught about Jesus, his death, burial, resurrection. And Peter said, God's made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. His blood's on your hands. And they said, what shall we do? They felt guilt and shame and anguish and despair. And Peter told them to repent and be baptized and that'll take care of your guilty conscience. You see, it's the conscience that gets us to the cross. The gospel convicts us of sin and we feel guilt and shame and, and anguish and despair that, that we are guilty and that we deserve hell. Jesus died in our place and we repent of our sins and we're baptized into him. The gospel, the conscience leads us to the gospel. Hebrews 10, says as much. Let us draw near with a true heart 
in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The, the washing of pure water, guess what that is? Baptism. And in that event, our evil conscience is what? Sprinkled clean in the mind of God. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, let's look at this scripture. How much more will the blood of Christ what can wash away my sin? That's it. The blood of Jesus. Who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice to God. It will purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Notice that. The blood of Christ purifies our conscience so we can serve him. And, and guess what? Having a clean, clear conscience is a wonderful place to be. I recognize the need for accountability and all that. But the greatest person that can manage your life is you. And your conscience is what helps manage it when it's trained. Take a look at this picture. I'm just about finished. Well, somebody drew this up, you know, and I, and, and I never saw Did you ever see a man with wings on his back? I never did. In a play, maybe. Angels don't have wings. But you understand this idea here. This, this is a concept of what? The conscience. The devil's saying do it, and the, this God's word is saying Holy, through the Holy Spirit, don't do it, right? Think about this. The same sun that melts wax will make clay hard. The same sun that will melt wax makes clay hard. What, what's the point here? You can listen to preaching day after day after day, and the more you reject that, the more your heart will become hard to God's word. Like that clay. You see your skylight's dirty, and the light of the gospel just can't get through. You've got to get the headlight clean, cleaned off on your car of your heart so that God's word can get to your conscience and convict it. Amen? So at the bottom of your outline, here's what it says. In the courtroom of your mind, your conscience is both the prosecutor and the defense attorney. It certainly is. It either accuses us or it excuses us. That's what it does. It accuses us or it excuses us and said you did good or you're guilty, Jack. That's why every day God votes for you. Satan votes against you. And we break the tie. Let me ask you a question. How many of you got tape on your conscience? I got tape on the dashboard, not over the check engine light, over the low tire light. Many of us got tape on our conscience and we're not allowing the light of God's word to turn inward on us. This scripture won't 